Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Abdullah Ishaq Khan, thank you for coming on our podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Oh, thank you, David. I am Abdullah Ishaq Khan. I am a Bangladeshi-born government employee. I'm currently working for the Prime Minister's Office of Bangladesh and being posted at the Bangladesh Economic Zones Authority. So my primary task is to create economic zones throughout the country to cater international investors and welcoming them to our country. Apart from the professional introduction, I have recently graduated from the Hitotsubashi University of Japan from the Mixed Scholarship Program. And there I have actually studied with the, the multiple nationals around the world and tried to learn from each of the nationals as much as, I, as possible. And prior to working for the government, I actually worked for a couple of multinational companies and private commercial banks. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. What made you choose Japan for your MBA? There were multiple reasons for which uh, Japan is always prime country for me to look for. The primary reason is that in my professional career, I have seen that my organization is dealing with Japan in multiple ways. Japan is a very friendly nation to Bangladesh for many years and since its independence. And we are also building government-to-government economic zones with Japan government as well. And lastly, I actually started my career at a Japanese apparel retailer named Uniqlo. So all the interactions with my professional careers is associated with Japan. So therefore, I thought, like, why don't I opt for some greater knowledge to the Japan itself. That's why I opted for this scholarship program. Later on, I got selected. And then whenever I got the opportunity, I tried to learn deeply about the economy itself because it's such a magnificent country with diversified history and an excellent technological frontier. So whenever I got the opportunity, I tried to learn from Japan. And then, then, then this MBA program itself is the flagship MBA program of the nation. And Japan is the third largest economy of the world. So all these things are acting together as a synergy for allowing me to choose Japan as my next education destination. And I understand you recently started a new role that further solidifies that intersection of Bangladesh economic growth and Japan. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Since I came back to Bangladesh and resumed my professional endeavor, I have been assigned to the government-to-government economic zone that is Japanese economic zone here in Bangladesh. So my current role is a deputy project director of the infrastructure development project of that economic zone. So my primary task is to make that economic zone in a way that can actually cater different types of Japanese investment here in Bangladesh. That infrastructure development includes the basic amenities like gas, electricity, water, security, and the inside road and everything. Apart from that, there are some other issues like uh, organizational development, including one-stop service centers, where investors will come and will actually go to only one office to apply for all kinds of government and regulatory approvals. So this on-site and organizational development perspective, I have to be 
like make the entire economic zone ready for the investors to come and plug and play to straight away start investing here in this economic zone. What are some of the unique selling points that make Bangladesh such an attractive place for foreign investment and business in your estimation? Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, we need to be very much aware of the historical perspective of my country, how we have started the journey and how we are currently doing and our future progression as well. So as many of your audiences may have known that Bangladesh is actually quite a I would say, natural calamity-prone country for quite a long years. But that thing has been the story of the past. We have grown a lot since then. We have created a nation where we are climate resilient and we are trying to mitigate the, all the natural calamities that we were facing previously. As a result, the moment we have learned how to cope up with the natural calamities, we have started dealing with multiple other challenges, including excessive population and poverty. But since the current government has taken charge, they have created some enormous and important policy level changes, which has shaped the economy in a way that can actually keep the people out of the poverty line and that the young generation, they are developed in human resource perspective properly. If we give you some data, Previously, our agriculture was like 80% of our GDP, which has been coming down to less than 30% in the recent years. Previously, our human resources were engaged in like 80% to the agriculture, but it is now roughly 40% of the entire population workforce is on agriculture. Our poverty was very striking. So it was more than 50%. Currently, the excess, uh, the hardcore poverty level is just around 10%. So this is kind of like an amazing thing that has been going on in our country for like last 20 years or so. So whenever we see that a country is coming out of poverty line and they are trying to advance themselves into multiple other directions, then the international investment comes into play. Since we have a large population of 170 million in our country and more than 60% of this entire population is actually in the working age. So therefore, international investors can see that uh, the abundance of uh, human resources is a very big player to attract those in industries to come to Bangladesh. And then comes the connectivity system. Bangladesh has been wonder of... Uh, infrastructure development for the last 10 years or so. So entire country is actually connected very well through waterways, train, and roadways. We do have very international level deep support as well. All these things are creating a synergy and attracting international investors to set up their manufacturing hub in Bangladesh. This will give them essentially three ages. Number one, they can have the kind of labor force they need for their manufacturing plants very easily in Bangladesh. And they have the luxury to actually import the raw materials from elsewhere to the, of the world to their respective manufacturing plants. And thirdly, this country itself is a very big domestic country, domestic economy. So whenever whatever they are producing in our country, they have the market access to sell it within Bangladesh. And also, as a matter of fact, it's very close to China and India, they can say it to that place as well. It sounds like the government policies and initiatives 
helped this turnaround in the last 10 to 15 years where you're bringing down the poverty levels. Does the government have some numbers that they're aiming for as far as economic growth? Yes, we do have. We would be very glad that we have taken the sustainable development goal very seriously. And we are currently on the front line of the United Nations this ambitious plan to implement the sustainable development goal. Apart from this, our government has taken a very important initiative of making ourselves the developed nations of the world by 2041. So it's like around 18 years from now when we will be calling ourselves the developed nations of the world. And for that matter, we needed to increase significantly in some of the issues. Number one is the GDP contribution of the industries. Number two, reducing the poverty level. And of course, number three, increasing the per capita income. So as far as the GDP contribution of industries is concerned, we are already seeing a massive growth in the last 20 years. It was around 16%, and now it has gone up to like 35%. Our extreme poverty level has been reduced to 10%, which will be completely eradicated by the end of 2030. And our current per capita income is around 2,600 USD which we are expecting to see a massive increase to up to $12,000 by the end of 2041, which is very ambitious, no doubt about it. But the kind of policy reforms that we have done and also the kind of responses that we are getting from the international investors is very encouraging. And those numbers are very much in front of us and we are aiming to those to achieve those numbers. Could you elaborate on some of the incentives and support structures that the Bangladesh Economic Zone Authority has in place to attract international investors? Yes, actually, we are offering uh, multiple uh, incentives and opportunities for the international investors. We are building six categories of economic zones. So my primary task is to establish uh, the government economic zones and government-to-government economic zones. So some of them are state-owned, some of them are state-owned jointly with other governments. Then we have like private economic zones, public-private partnership economic zones, and specialized economic zones. So all those economic zones are offering some significant incentives to the investors, including tax haven, the bonded warehouse facilities, the easy one-stop service center facilities. And we are also exempting some of the import duties as well. So those stamp duties are completely, completely withdrawn. And you can have like a tax incentive on importing of the cars as well for the economies on usage. And there are like non-monetary benefits like bonded warehouse facilities and other tax incentives and customs incentives as well. So both in monetary benefits and non-monetary benefits, we are offering almost everything that other economic, competing economy zones are offering to the world as well. And what does the Bangladesh Economic Zone Authority, or BEZA for short, envision for the future in terms of business and investment in the coming years? Are there any particular sectors or industries that they want to focus on? Well, like I said before that, we want to become like a developed nations by 2041. That's like my country perspective. But when it comes to BEZA, BEZA has a very distinctive, very hardcore number target as well. They are envisioning to set up 100 special economic zones throughout the country by 2030. And you would be glad to know that 97 of them has already been set up. The places has been selected. The infrastructure development is going on. 
And we are also trying to create industries, trying to cater industries who will be able to export $40 billion of additional export from our economic zones by 2041. And this will essentially create 10 million jobs in our economic zones. So these three numbers can give you an idea that how much the government is willing to spend, how much we want to earn through those things, and how much employment generation will be done. So as far as the circular economy is concerned, the, the more rollout will be going on, the better the, the people will feel the advantages of those things. And apart from these things, Beza is also trying to create an organization where foreigners will feel very comfortable in three ways. Number one, the, the services will be seamless. Therefore, they do not require to wait for a while to take the decisions. And then comes the collaboration, the partnership that they can have with the government of Bangladesh, which will essentially give the investors confidence that their investments are safe and secure. We have a very strong and very good law that has been enacted in our country for the benefits of the international investors. That is Capital Repatriation Act. Under this act, the investors are not feeling comfortable keeping their investment no longer in this country. They can repatriate their entire investment out of this, out of this country. And the law gives them the, uh, the edge that no one will be stopping them to do so. So the 100% Capital Repatriation Act gives investors additional confidence that they can stay in this country and help this economy to grow and as well as they can make money out of it. Do you know the approximate range earliest and latest, how long it takes to create an economic zone? Creating an economic zone depends on a few distinctive criteria. Number one, the location of the zone. Number two, the, the area of the zone. And number three, the kind of industry that you want to cater. So to answer your question very easily, if the economic zone is located in a convenient place and we want to cater the regular industries, it will take around like five years to create an economic zone from very scratch to a fully functioning thing. For example, the Japanese economic zone that we are building right now, has the project has been started since 2019 and we are only at the like the third quarter or the final quarter of 2023. We'd be glad to know that 180 acres of land has already been handed over to the Japan government the Bangladesh Special Economies Unlimited. It's a special company that we have created for that. It has been jointly owned by Sumitomo Corporation, Japan government, and Bangladesh government. And out of that 180 acres, around like 100 acres of land has already been taken by the industrial investors, and they have started creating their own manufacturing facility. And at the beginning of January, there will be trial production going on. So within like four years, we have created an economy zone from scratch to a trial run. So if we further one year from 2024, we will see that the many, many companies are to have started their production and then the positive impact will be visible. And you'll have a working framework that you can build upon in future economic zones. Yes, this is kind of like, uh, exactly, I agree with you, kind of like a learning curve that as the days will progress, we will learn how to spearhead some of the bottlenecks that you find out throughout this journey. I remember reading that was it Kansai Airport is on reclaimed land in the Bay of Osaka? Yes. And I think it took almost 20 years before they got it finished. Like there are all these problems 
that they didn't foresee. I mean, no one foresaw. They were kind of uh, innovators or leaders. And so they were kind of discovering and then having to solve problems real time. But that made future projects that much easier. So hopefully it doesn't take that long, but hopefully, yeah, some of your lessons learned along the way will pay dividends in the future. Speaking of the Kansai region, just to add, Bangladesh is building another similar kind of airport at the southeast part of the nation that is called Cox's Bazar. It is home of the largest uninterrupted sea beach in the world, stretching 120 kilometers of uninterrupted sea beach. So we are actually building building three distinctive uh, tourism zones as part of Beza's initiative in that region. And we needed a very good international standard airport over there. And Japanese technology are being actually implemented over there. And as far as the Kansai airport is concerned, the similar technologies are being being actually implemented in that region with reclaimed land. And, and that airport is already on the making. We are expecting this to be go live by the end of next year. So aside from that project, are there any projects that you are particularly excited about that are on the horizon? A couple of projects. First of all, we are creating an underwater tunnel at the Chittagong region of the country, which is the home of the biggest seaport of the country. Also, we are building our flagship economic zones in that region as well. So that underwater tunnel will create like... Uh, very, very sustainable and very fast-moving city at the southern region of the country. And that project is almost done. We'll see that uh, project to be inaugurated by the end of this year, which is a very massive project and a very exciting one for us. The second thing is the airport that we are talking about. If it is, it is getting live, so more international tourists will come into this country and they will start learning that what we are doing, what good practices that we have, and etc. We are also trying to create an environment where energy crisis will be mitigated. As you know that we are not a primary source of oil or something. So we have to buy them from the Middle East or the other regions of the world to create our own electricity. So we are trying to opt it for nuclear power plant. So we are building a nuclear power plant, which will be like a adding 2,400 megawatt of electricity in our national grid. So that a nuclear power plant will go live by the end of next year as well. So these are some of the projects that are very exciting and will be helping us to create logistically more convenient environment for us. Nice. Yeah, definitely sounds like this is a great time for Bangladesh these next 10, 15, 20 years. Working in the prime minister's office, I imagine that you are meeting people from all over the world. What do you do to prepare yourselves for like cultural differences and to help create connection with each of these visiting people? First of all, the primary connection level of the Prime Minister's office with the rest of the world is actually a very convenient one. We have like very competent seniors who are very diligent and very good in their job to keep those connections going. When we get to meet with the international investors, we try to understand their aspiration and understanding towards our country. So our primary focus remains is to give them some good idea about how this country is operating, our history has evolved, and the kind of initiative that we have taken to keep our country forward. On that far, for example, we have like four G2G economic zones in our country, one with the Japan government, 
and one with the Chinese government, one with the Indian government. They're currently in discussion with Saudi Arabia and South Korea for whether we can come up with some sort of negotiations to create some government-to-government economy zones as well. And recently, our government has given proposal to the United States to have their own G2G economy zone in our country. So when we do these things, we try to understand the kind of industries that might be interested to set up their own manufacturing facility here in Bangladesh. So we have like our own research team who will be studying the respective country, their ideas and requirements for us. And then comes the cultural differences. We wanted to learn that what kind of environment that they would feel comfortable staying here in Bangladesh. For example, when Japanese Economy Zones was forming here in Bangladesh, the initial feasibility study team tried to understand the commute time from the center of Dhaka to the zone. So they have actually taken a lot of time to understand to what kind of commute time that Japanese may need to take, which area they might be feeling comfortable to stay in, what kind of hospitals, what kind of educational institutions that they would prefer for their family members to be in. So we wanted to learn from them and make set up their, the kind of convenience setup that they would feel like comfortable to be here in Bangladesh. For a country like Saudi Arabia, I think the people of Saudi Arabia would be feeling comfortable staying in Bangladesh. We are Muslim countries, they are Muslim countries as well. Some of the cultural aspects are very, very close. So they would ideally feel that this country like their home as well. And thanks to the global warming, we are getting increasingly very hot as well, just like the Saudi Arabia. So jokes apart, yes, they are actually coming in numbers and trying to learn from us, as well as our team is also consistently studying about them and trying to create an environment that makes them feel convenient to stay in Bangladesh. That's great. Sounds like Bangladesh's version of Amotenashi. Amotenashi, yes, yes. So what are you most proud of from your country? Quite a lot of things, to be honest. Most thing that I'm proud of is the independence that we got back in 1971. We had a very, I would say, difficult history from, I would say, very long time. We were not self-governing for hundreds of years. And therefore, our people were not able to flourish themselves the way that should have been. So sadly, we missed the first industrial revolution. We missed the second industrial revolution. We almost missed the third industrial revolution as well, thanks to our independence. The moment we got this back in 1971, our self-governance, our self-constitution, and our own kind of lifestyle has actually helped our own Bangladeshis to explore the around the world and learn from the other people. The moment we started doing this, you see the magnificent growth of this country. This has happened only because of the independence that we got back in 1971. And if you think of the human development in this perspective, our women participation in the workforce were very less prior to independence. The kind of remittances we used to receive was very, very negligent. Very less number of people used to go outside Bangladesh to work elsewhere in the world. Our primary education enrollment rate was very less. The child mortality rate was very high. Those were like very depressing human development index numbers. But if you look now, every number is doing fantastic. Millions of Bangladeshis are outside Bangladesh working. And they are sending remittances to us. We are one of the highest remittance receiving country in the world currently. And our primary education enrollment rate is currently nearly 99%. 
and we are doing best in child mortality reduction rate here in Southeast Asia. And to the best of my knowledge and to your wonder, the women participation rate in our workforce is one of the highest in the world currently. Nearly 70% of the workforce at our ready-made garments industries are women. So these are the hard numbers that you can clearly see that has been showing massive, massive performance soon after the independence. So I am truly proud of my own independence that we have achieved back in 1971. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. I didn't know a few of those points. One thing that interested me as well is the size of Bangladesh. The population is 170 million approximately. That's larger than Japan. That's larger than Japan. Yeah, that's surprising. So being Bangladeshi, what have you taken away from your time in Japan? Well, to be honest, there is everything that a person can learn from Japan. Everything. The, the kind of infrastructure that they have developed, the kind of economy that they have made, the kind of uh, individual human development that they have made is just simply outstanding. But amongst all these things, I am really impressed with the discipline that Japanese people have shown. I personally believe this is the first thing that an individual should be looking at. The kind of discipline the whole country has been is actually making their way to channel this efficiency to their study, to their lifestyle, to the manufacturing process and everything. We all know that how qualityful the products or services are from Japan. But how this quality has been ensured is actually deep down to the kind of disciplined society that they have made. I think this is something that each and every nation of the world should be learning from Japan. Because the moment we get disciplined, the moment we are very much connected and well-behaved with each other in our personal life, is the moment we can replicate it in our workplace. And then comes the quality. Moreover, to me, quality is actually outcome of the consistent behavior. It's not something that you can make out of the blue. It's not something that can be arbitrarily done. It's a very planned thing. It's an outcome that starts from well-behaved discipline. And Japan is actually forerunner to this. Yeah, that's a great point. That was something that uh, impressed me as well, was the patience and discipline. And also, I liked focusing on the moment really appreciating each moment, each flavor, each scent, the atmosphere of places. It really helped me like open my eyes a little bit more, I felt. Did you notice something similar? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Do you plan to continue going back and forth between Bangladesh and Japan? I would I sincerely love to. As you know that I have just returned from the Tokyo last month and I have resumed my study and working for the Japanese Economies on Project. So, I am inherently in communication with uh, many types of Japanese and on a building level, on an official level and, and the investor level as well. So there will be opportunity for me to go back and forth to Japan in, in, in regular intervals. And if there is opportunity to study more from them in future, I would definitely opt for that opportunity. Nice. Well, Ishak, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to highlight or mention? Well, we have... In our own scope of discussion today has gone through a lot of issues. But I would like to touch upon two important things. Is Number one, the kind of offerings that Beza is actually offering to the world, number one. And number two, going forward, how influential the relationship with Bangladesh government will be for the outside governments in, in the future. These two things, I think, can be an important 
and an interesting thing for your audiences to know. The first of all, Beza in particular is actually open to all the investors of the world. We have investors from Germany, from United Kingdom, Canada, USA, Australia, even all the way from South American countries as well. So this is ideally creating or giving a message to the international community that this country is open for the changes. And this change is bringing up about like quality changes in the lives of the people of our country, as well as the meaningful impact for those businesses who are coming to Bangladesh. Another thing is since, as you have mentioned, that we are a very big country in terms of population, the 170 million people means 170 million connections that you can make here in Bangladesh. And for any government, having a very good relationship and a functional business relationship with Bangladesh will essentially mean the support from the 170 million people for any international country, for any international forum, having a support from Bangladesh would be an added advantage for them to make their own points. You'd be surprised to see that how the neighboring countries are currently in a very good terms with Bangladesh. Countries like China and India, they are a very good friend of us. Japan is considered to be biggest friend of us. Countries like United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, they are very much interested to have a functional relationship with us. We have good relationship with Russia as well. We have a very good trade and relationship with Australia. So these are some of the things that we are particularly excited about and proud about as well. We expect that since our economic conditions are getting better each year, and if this growth can be continued, we will see more countries are becoming good friends with us. And therefore, this whole ecosystem will create an environment for the people of our country to have a better lifestyle and meaningful impact lifestyle in the coming years. These are the things that if your good audiences study a bit more, we'll have a deeper understanding as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. It certainly seems like an exciting time in an exciting region. Bangladesh is everybody's friend and has all the right demographics at the right time. So I'm really excited to watch your growth and keep checking in with you to see what's new in Bangladesh and the region. Well, thank you, Ishak, for joining us today and best of luck with your endeavors. Thank you, David. Thank you to your good audiences. I believe that uh, we try to create a conversation where certain unexplored regions can be unearthed in front of the uh, audiences and that they will be intrigued to study more about the the facts and findings that you have shared. And if there is any more questions that are being arise through our conversation, I will be more than happy to follow up on those things. Is there a website or anywhere that you could direct people to monitor the projects you're working on? Yes, the VESA website is available and also there are a Government of Bangladesh website available where you can find out the progress of all the projects that are going on in the country. So that's like one platform from where you can contact with any other agencies of the nation. That's the biggest online portal in the world, to be honest. We'll include those in the show notes. Thank you, Ishak. Thank you, David. It's an honor talking with you. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, eyes on the horizon. Eyes on the horizon.